hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Yo. Also, including us, we have a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, special guest? Yes, I am Bill's father-in-law. Now, this is Michael. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. Yeah, welcome. So, give our listeners a little background, Michael. Who are you? What do you do? Um, I have been a professional musician since um, for 45 years, and um, I've played just about everywhere. We're just hundreds of musicians, mostly in the progressive rock or what they call now classic rock genre. Um, Done a lot of times in the studio, spent a lot of time in the studio, recorded many albums, songs. Um, Just finished most recent album with a band last year. And we're just going to start working on our next one now. Awesome. Um, so I've had a lot of years experience in music. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I know you said you had a clip from the band you wanted to share, right, Bill? Yeah, this is actually Michael's band, Shadow Merchant. Hopefully all you guys like that there. That's uh, Silhouette by Shadow Merchant. Yeah, Their good. album's out now. It's called Tomorrow. Huh. Yeah, it's definitely refreshing. I'll pick it up today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so have you guys encountered anything new or interesting this past week? I saw Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine recently did an interview where he said, don't wait around for Rage Against the Machine. Uh he said start your own band if you want to see that type of thing and you do it yourself that sucks did he mention anything about Zach De La Roca no but all signs seem to point to him being the one holding the reunion back yeah Uh, well because you gotta figure they did the whole um, Prophets uh, of Rage Prophets of Rage yeah so I mean they were Rage was back together from 2008 to 2011 with their last show being in July of 2011 but they didn't record anything yeah oh 
I mean, I wouldn't even be so upset just to see them live. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, love to I see them live. Ask for an album. I just love to see them live, and they would sell out immediately. That's one of those bands that I wished I had always saw. You know, like, uh, unfortunately, Pantera, I got too, I got on man. that train too, you know, too late. Yeah. Yeah, they broke up when we were, like, eight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You guys encounter any music news or recent music happenings? I just found out about this band called Pride and Glory. Um, Zach uh, Wild. Yeah, Zach Wild's Southern Rock Metal Band. They um they came out in 1991 right after uh, Ozzy's No More Tears album. Pretty much what happened was they Ozzy did the No More Tours tour, and uh, he's like, all right, well if it's done, I'm gonna start on something else. And I heard the song um, Losing Your Mind, insane. Was it the tour Ozzy did last year called No More Tours? No More Tours too. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one might have been his last world tour full circle yeah exactly what about you steve um so in our previous podcast we discussed uh megadeth um i did also briefly bring up a few weeks ago about them in the studio recording a 16th album new album wow but i did bring up because their latest release was a compilation it was called warheads on foreheads i thought it was the dumbest fucking thing i thought it was a ploy (laughs) to get money it was super disrespectful but i do you know appreciate megadeth i mean they put out some good stuff in the early years so oh, absolutely. I'll, yeah, I'll always give a listen. But the most recent thing, aside from them actually in the studio, they are announcing reissues for three of their albums due out July. Um, it's a shame because the three albums they're doing reissues of are United Abominations, Endgame, and 13. And are you kidding me? I'm not even a fan of any one of those oh albums. Oh, my God. Um, but there's um, there's a cover of Led Zeppelin's uh, Out on the Tiles. Um, they're doing you know a live version of Washington's Next. I mean, they got some like extended plays on these uh reissues but yeah. dude i mean like you pick those three albums yeah i mean exactly. i get it you're not gonna go back and do peace cells and rust in peace and things like that but dude i don't give a fuck about united abominations to begin with yeah you think that was go out there and buy a goddamn reissue of it <laughs> did Come you on, like dude. dystopia <laughs> i didn't mind dystopia i thought dystopia was I great think dystopia fucking blew new metallica out of the water oh 100 percent. funny you mentioned that because i'm reading here it said that they got nominated and won a grammy for it and it was the first time they won a grammy after 12 nominations and while accepting the award the house band played master of yeah. puppets holy <laughs> shit that, like dude. but they played it so bad that Dave Mustaine didn't even know that it was master of puppets oh, yeah. wow. that's so perfect and though. like i think he did an interview afterwards and like well how would you feel if they messed that up he's like that was metallica yeah that's <laughs> fucking hilarious He's probably like, I never even heard that song, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm it's excited. Not one of the ones like, he wrote. You figure after um, Death Magnetic when uh, Hardwire came out, Hardwire sucked. I don't like Hardwire. Yeah, I didn't like. Um, didn't like but anything. Dystopia, um, yeah, like I didn't mind it. And for them to record a new album, it's funny because I'll just go listen to it regardless. Yeah. Even if it's not good and I heard it's not good, I'm still gonna give it a shot because you're a fan of Megadeth. Yeah, and like Mustaine's a great musician. He's yeah. a great musician, man. At the end of the insanely day. good musician. Yeah, if it's a band that you liked still from when you were a kid that's still putting out albums, yeah. it's real hard for them to uh, break that bond with you. Like Weezer, I think, is yeah. the only band that's really broken that with me where I just don't care when new Weezer stuff comes out. Yeah, like I listened to St. Anger, and then I listened to fucking Death Magnetic, <laughs> and then Hardwire came out, and I listened to it front to back because they premiered it on a radio station at midnight the day it came out. And I listened to it, and I laid there afterwards, and I was disappointed but I listen to it. <laughs> it's just how it goes, man. You shouldn't buy it. Ninth podcast no. in a row that Metallica got mentioned, by the this way. This is becoming a stupid <laughs> record. And it's pissing me off. 
one day. Can we go one day without mentioning anything Metallica related? God damn it. On this day in music history. Okay, 1959, Liberace wins his case against the Daily Mirror at the High Court in London and says afterwards, I cried all the way to the bank. The paper published an article claiming the pianist was homosexual, which was later found to be true. Ain't that something, though? Yeah, but you have to think, though, in 1959. Back then, it was way more serious. Yeah, Yeah, if he would have been confirmed then of being homosexual, then it would have meant the end of his career, for sure. back, Back then in Hollywood... It was really taboo, and even even if the press knew it, they didn't tell anybody. They kept it quiet. Yeah. They knew it. It's not like today when everybody's got cell phones and the press something finds somebody finds something out, and the press releases it right away. Yeah. Back then, they kept it taboo. Yeah. TMZ is twenty four hours. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. his his biggest fan base was women. Yeah. Uh, so he had an amazing star in Vegas, and he just had a, this humongous female following mm-hmm. so they couldn't let it out because uh, it, would, it would have ruined yeah, his fan base and um he was a great entertainer and when, when it came out after he died it was like well yeah everybody kind of knew it anyway but they kind of i only quiet. knew that from the first austin powers yeah. movie like <laughs> yeah. and who knew liberace was gay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. they kept it quiet the press Fast forward to 1967, uh, Barbara Streisand, I'm sure we're all big fans here, uh, sung for an estimated 135,000 fans at a concert in New York City's Central Park. The show later aired on CBS as a TV special with the soundtrack album A Happening in Central Park. I got nothing on this. Okay. Barbara Streisand, she was very, very popular. Very popular, yeah. In the late 60s, early 70s, along with like you know the whole Frank Sinatra thing, those big... Yeah concerts and she still dominates the uh goodwill used lp sections <laughs> she definitely does she uh-huh. had she had an incredible uh producer david foster i don't know if you ever yeah. heard of him he he produced all his albums that's why that made her sound as good as she did on all her records that this yeah, she had a big big following i know her mainly from the meet the parents trilogy yeah. um <laughs> i can't i can't think of any of her actual songs so like, I don't know where her people. Um, ah, okay, yep. The, all the all the movies she was in, she sang in. She, she was, was big, a big star. She was in disco, pretty much. Like she was big in disco. No, no, no. It was all it was all mainstream. Oh, like music, pop, yeah, yeah. alternative pop back. Then. Yes, well, now what it would be today. Yeah, that is funny. I know her from the Meet the Parents series as yeah, well, too. dude. <laughs> um, she's De Niro's wife. No, she's uh the other. Got, Dustin uh, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Fast forward to 1972. The Rolling Stones classic album, Exile on Main Street, hits number one on America, preceded by the worldwide top 10 hit single, Tumbling Dice. Nice. I mean, excellent album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in my top three Stones. Yeah, it's not my favorite, but nah, it's good. It's not my favorite either. It's um, funny because, uh, like, rate your music I used to go to when I was younger to find, like, top albums. Um, and for that decade, that was like one of the number one albums, like top five of that era. And it's funny because I go and listen to it based on that, but I still like I I, I don't like let it bleed. I like let it bleed yeah. better, you know. I like let it bleed better. I like flowers better. Yep. Um, sticky fingers. Sticky, sticky fingers. fingers. Yeah, yeah. Can't hear me knocking. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Every time I hear "Can't Hear Me Knocking," I think of the intro to "Blow." 
Exile on Main Street's good, but it's like it's a background album almost. It's not one you really put on to like enjoy, like yeah, with a detailed listen. I guess yeah. I there's never know. like a song that pops up where it's like I stop what I'm doing to listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 like a background album. Yeah, I think. Um, 1980, eight years later, Led Zeppelin begins what would be their last tour with the final leg of the In Through the Outdoor tour with a concert in Germany. Uh, Damn. Soon after this, obviously, John Bonham would be die and the band would come to an end. Rest in peace, John Bonham. For My real. dad had tickets to see Led Zeppelin twice, and the first time, Robert Plant's son died, and the tour got canceled, mm-hmm. and then the second time, this happened. Like, wow. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. Like, I think they had a planned American leg after this. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Uh, the year after that, uh, at Earl's Court in London, 1981, Pink Floyd play the last of 31 performances of The Wall a unique stage show where a giant wall is erected and torn down as the band plays the album in its entirety. It's Roger Waters' last concert with the band, which breaks up in 1983 and carries on without him a few years later. Roger Waters still continues on and performs the wall regularly. Yeah, yeah um, they did it at uh, Citizens Bank Park. Doesn't the like other guy do... Yeah, David Gilmore. David Gilmore. Yeah, he does a lot of good stuff too. He does a solo tour, but he usually announces as like David Gilmore performing. I mean, but Roger Waters goes out there and like Roger Waters. Doesn't David Gilmore Side. do more like Dark Side of the Moon? No, no, no. He does he, the wall He does too. a lot of like Wish You Were Here stuff as well because he was big for Wish You Were Here. That yeah, was his. Okay. You know, that was yeah. him featured on that. But yeah, Roger Waters does Dark Side of the Moon. Um, apparently, he did an Animals tour, I think. But yeah, his big yeah. recent one was the Wall at Citizens Bank Park. My fiance actually went and saw him do Dark Side of the Moon in 2017. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. doesn't Roger Waters like only do the Wall? No, and Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, he does. He toured okay. a couple times with Dark Side of the Moon. He did the Wells Fargo Center, like I said. He did outdoors. He did Citizens Bank Park. He did the Wall. But yeah, he usually tours specifically for Floyd albums. Hey, this that this was a major accomplishment at the time, for when technology was at that time. Putting for together a show yeah. like that with the bricks and yeah. building the whole oh, thing, yeah. with the, it was they were way ahead of their time. There wasn't that many bands doing this kind of stage multi-dimensional kind of show. My my dad yeah. saw them in Philly at I think the Vet at the Wall tour, and his friend had to sleep outside of the Vet for three days to get those tickets. <laughs> yeah, that, that, three days in a row, he was just at the vets, like eating, sleeping, never leaving his spot in line. To get and you don't have that kind tickets. of stuff anymore with concerts. No. No. Well, now everybody scoops in and buys the tickets and then you just have to pay whatever price that everybody exactly. who bought all the tickets sets the new price at. Yeah, like StubHub, it's all determined based on what the lowest sale is for. Back then, there was resale. no network for this yeah. like aftermarket yep. ticket yep. Uh, exchange. Um Okay. I spent many nights sleeping outside of the Spectrum, yeah. waiting yeah. to get in line for tickets. Yeah, I used to sleep outside the box office back, in the, though, yeah. back yeah. in the 70s. I slept overnight at the Spectrum just to get tickets to Yes. Yeah. And and yeah, and also the first one of JFK uh, with Yes and Peter Frampton. Holy shit. Slept outside there waiting to get tickets. Now you can just get them online and get them wherever. Yeah, yeah, now you just yeah, you're just at mercy. Takes all the, the fun price. out of it. That was yeah. fun, you know, hanging out with everybody yeah. overnight. That just reminds me of the end of Dazed and Confused, where they go to get I think the Kiss tickets, 
Oh, like, yeah. The last Aerosmith. thing they do, Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah. They, like, ride out into the sunset, yeah. and they're like going to get tickets, and there was an event in itself, dude. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey's like, like, we're heading to Austin like, to get some Aerosmith yeah. tickets or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, cause, yeah. Everybody, hung, everybody hung out in tents, yeah, slept yeah. overnight in the parking lot. It was, and you really miss the vibe of like the music scene by like taking that out of the mix, where you're just laying there. Well, people actually cared back then. Now they're like, now they just wait for a new song to show up on their phone that they happened upon. Terrible, dude. Um, Okay. 1995, 14 years later, Rod Stewart sets an attendance record at Wembley in London where 83,000 fans attended his concert. The record holds until 2009 when U2 draws 5,000 more with 88,000 on their 360 tour. Of course. I mean, yeah, U2 pretty much exists to just break every record that's ever been set. Frustrating. <laughs> Is that yep. when Rod Stewart went all wimpy in 95? I think Remember? so. Yeah. yeah. Before that, he used to rock. Yeah. I yeah. Him and his band used to rock yeah. and then he went on that easy listening thing and there was like... <laughs> yeah. Um... 97, two years later, Ozzy's voice gives out for his OzFest tour date in Columbus, Ohio. He doesn't appear, but the show goes on without him, despite the no announcement of his lack of uh, appearing that night. Fans who aren't told until later that he won't be there don't take the news well and trash the venue. What did you expect? Yeah, what did you expect? You're having a bunch of heavy metal fans. At OzFest, and Ozzy doesn't show up. Isn't isn't showing up. Yeah, that's recipe for disaster. They didn't want to refund the tickets. 97, Pantera was probably on that. And Pantera was probably... uh, whipping up the anger in the crowd yeah. like oh where the hell is ozzy it's funny because you think about the ride think about all the bands that were there prior to seeing that i mean you get typo negative fear fat but then like pantera in 97 pantera so we're they were good yeah we're at, real like, good yeah like five minutes alone we're yeah. at like strike beyond driven and um and you figure you see all this Hoping to get Ozzy and Black Sabbath. Yeah, I'm sure a majority of the people bought the tickets for that sense. Because it's like even when yo when we went and saw Slayer, how many people showed up after the other? Oh bands my were god, there? dude! So you figure how many older fans showed up to go see Ozzy and Sabbath? Skipped out on like typo negative and shit, and just to show up to find out he's not even fucking performing. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! Dude. Like, could you imagine if we went to that Slayer show, right? Tom and, Ray, we'll- yeah, and Tom Ray didn't show up. I mean, I'm not going to lie, Lamb of God would be a cool last band to see, but I'm not showing up for a second final tour. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is imagine the people that weren't there for Lamb of God oh, that showed up showed at Slayer. Up. Like, they waited all night for Slayer, shows up, Slayer's not playing, sorry, and now you're out $60 for a ticket and you Beat. saw nobody. Beat. <laughs> well, I mean, it was in Columbus. Like, you imagine the big cities near there, like you have... Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Cincinnati within like two, three hours. Like they probably only had an Ozfest tour date in one of in Columbus since it's like the Columbus is right in the middle of those cities. And maybe they have one up in Detroit, which is maybe like four or five hours away. Yeah. So tons of people for this big ass concert probably drove two, (laughs) three, four hours to come and yeah, I, it wasn't, I don't blame it, them. It wasn't just like some little like it wasn't like us going to Camden twenty five minutes away. Exactly. And just going to a concert. Sometimes I think night. it's it's hard for us to understand like a um you know, like the resentment or whatever that's caused or something like this because the venues that we're by are so close. Yeah. Like thirty minutes we're in Philadelphia, twenty minutes we're in Camden, an hour and a half we're up in Holmdel at the PNC Bank Center. Yeah, even going to the Prudential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
electric factory. I mean, everything in Philly. I mean, yeah. It's so exactly. Nothing takes more than like 45 minutes to get to. Yeah. Yep. But think about it too, in this sense, like when we saw Slayer was their final tour, it was the only date in the Pennsylvania, Jersey, like tri-state area. Yeah. So imagine people that probably did show up and if that had happened. Oh my God. Holy It would have been mayhem. Dude. Yeah. It's not like they're torn and then they're going to play. It would have made you know, Guns and Roses in uh, Canada oh, look like nothing. Dude. And Guns, Guns N' Roses, Roses in, in Philly, even. Yeah, Guns, Guns N' Roses yeah. had riot in Philly. Yeah, they, yeah. Almost burnt the, they almost burnt the Wells Fargo Center down. Damn. That's insane. <laughs> in 2008, 11 years later, The Offspring released Rise and Fall, Raging, Gate, Raging Grace, their first album in nearly five years after 2003's Splinter. It had comeback hits on it, like uh, You're Gonna Go Far, Kid, Christy, Are You Doing Okay, and Hammerhead. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I never liked the album really either, but it was impressive to see like this. I think of this album in a scope of American Idiot had come out in 04 yeah. and kind of revitalized pop punk. But then Green Day kind of slept on their laurels for like a long time and didn't do anything after American Idiot until yeah. like 2009 or 10. And it was kind of impressive that their original contemporaries in the offspring were able to... uh put out like an album that was as big as that in that period yeah i mean that's the only reason i give it some props um but yeah i wasn't a fan of any of those singles yeah i, I mean and that's album. the thing the Allsprings, like one of those like when we mentioned the last podcast i don't like, like old take it or leave even. it with certain things like when we were mentioning yeah. singles it can kind of just be there but for instance all spring if they come on especially their newest songs like i'm not going to be so quick like quickly change the dial yeah exactly but i'll change the dial but really yeah i mean i'll listen to come out and play maybe gotta get away well, of course, like self-esteem and fucking the kids even self-esteem right. i don't really like that much it's, i think it's again the nostalgia factor that comes into it yeah, it's like here that song is just nostalgia. catchy and stuff but yep like green day for instance when you bring them up american idiot i turn not it off doing it not doing it. Dookie is like, it's amazing the difference between like Dookie and like American Idiot, like the way they went in progression. I'm yeah. not a fucking because when you talk about pop punk, like I mentioned before, that's a sincere guilty pleasure of mine. And for pop punk standards, I can't fucking deal with Green American Day. Idiot no. is almost like if you took Dookie and then a night at the opera and threw it in a blender. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And it doesn't sound that yeah, good. No, it doesn't. It's not right. Like literally dookie the album and the literal form i remember the first time i heard basket <laughs> case i was playing opera. this video game i think it was on like playstation 2 that bmx triple x and i heard uh basket case and i was like this is fucking cool every it's like yeah, all the songs that you heard on like tony cool. hawk's pro skater you know what i mean yeah exactly an american idiot i don't care I'm i like the title track on american idiot i'll say that that's <sighs> about it though. Dude. all right we're all right we'll move it on <laughs> all right in 2016, Red Hot Chili Peppers released The Getaway, their first album since 2011's I'm With You, and their first since 1991 without Rick Rubin producing. Uh, Brian Danger Mouse Burton it was the producer. Um, that was a huge change for the band because John Frusciante wasn't in the band. That's well, this is the second album that without didn't him? have John Frusciante oh, okay. and had the new dude, Josh Klinghoffer. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I I had it. I, don't, I was actually just looking for it the other day because I saw... It was on here, but it was all right. I think I listened to it a couple times. Um, I was going to ask you, too. Dark Necessities was the single. If you oh, yeah, that's right. what I'm saying. I was going to ask you because you brought up a while ago with, like, the Dave Navarro era. Uh -huh. So I was, like, curious if you were pretty. Because, like, that's the one thing about Red Hot Chili Peppers. They have so much dynamic sound where when they do change up, it's not so shocking. Because they could, like, think about the difference between Freaky Styly and, like, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah, I really don't. Milk. I'm kind of torn with how to rate 
and grade the new air of the Chili Peppers with Josh Klinghoffer. I like it, but it doesn't pop like it used to, for sure. No, yeah, definitely not. Um, well, for Shante, well, was he just came a- from like Beck and and like indie the indie rock crowd. Yeah. He was like a touring guitarist for Beck, and I forget who else, but um, maybe like Radiohead. I don't know, it was something like that, but um. I don't know. It's kind of weird, like when you think of their guitarists, like all their original guys in the '80s, like Hill Slovak, um, and I think Pat Sherman was the other guy's name. They they were like punk guys, and then they and funk guys, and then they got John Frusciante, who was like a punk funk guy who was like younger than them and was influenced by them and loved them. Yeah. And he was like the perfect fit because like mm-hmm. he literally like developed himself to fit in this band. I was seriously going to say that it's like perfect on the money. Cause he came in without even having a developed sound already. So nah. he was able to mold clearly into the band and become like the, the sound. Well, exactly. he was like for a long time. I mean, how many guitars can you say out there when you just hear their guitar tone and their style and you like know who's playing that guitar? Well, he was like he 17 or 18. That. Yeah. And yeah. they were like 24, 25, and well, they were like already pretty big in LA. Had like two, three, maybe even four albums out. Mm-hmm. And he was like a fan yeah. and like was obsessed with them and got good at guitar because he wanted to be able to join this band. And that's what happened. So, like, and he wasn't even like that's a rare, he was that's like, a yeah. rare uh, yeah. ingredient for a guitarist is that like. He had like five years before he joined the band to become their like the greatest guitar player that they could have. And also when you got like two guys up there because Flea is so dominant with his bass sound, Mm -hmm. but you can blend his guitar and you're literally getting both aspects of it. Because you know how like when you hear certain bands, like either the guitar or the bass, depending on who's better as the musician, you'll hear it more dominant. But you get to hear both of those instruments in such a quality where you get to appreciate both of them as being as good as they are. Yeah. Like I said, like I know, like when you hear Vashanti's guitar, you know it. Like yeah, you, you know it, one hundred percent. You know it's him. There's no question. It's the same thing with like Sublime. Like you just know. You know what yeah. I mean? The thing with Josh Klinghoffer is like it's almost like you took a good. It's like you replaced John Frusciante with like Johnny Marr. And it's like normally you shouldn't take that as like a diss, because Johnny Marr from the Smiths is like this incredible original guitar player. But he kind of doesn't fit yeah, that's in the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, but I agree. since he's like, so good, yeah. it's not going to be bad. It's like he got a, like a puzzle piece missing. It's, yeah, it's and exactly. And he like cut it's, it just to make it fit in there. It's, like, it's good, not but right, it's not quite but it's, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's missing something. Music News. Today at Music News, scientists create a sound so loud it can rupture your heart and boil water. Sounds like the brown noise. The brown sound? The brown, brown sound, note. yeah. The brown note. The, yeah. the brown they, note, they that's what it, it the is. the brown noise. No, yeah, brown... But, the, but it was the play, the brown noise, you have to play the brown note. Okay. What was that on, a recorder? South Park. Yeah. South Park. <laughs> was it a recorder, though? Sounds like the who. Yeah. <laughs> um, a team of researchers which, in, researchers, which included members from the Department of Energy's S. LAC National Accelerator Laboratory directed small blasts of water at powerful x-rays that instantly vaporized the surrounding water resulting in a shockwave. A train of shockwaves followed and once the threshold for how intense underwater sound can get was crossed, the water then formed small bubbles which quickly decayed. That This indicates that scientists have reached the potential limit for how loud sound can be when observed in a liquid water state. 
It's just crazy. But we're in a type of warfare now where we can just kill people with sound. Well, doing that underwater is probably a terrible idea because you don't know how it's going to travel through water, probably. And it could affect the megalodon come up on the Jersey Shore. Yeah. That could happen. Dealing with like tiny particles and waves, you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. Like radiation. They, since, uh, since the first nuclear bomb, they have to make steel completely different. They had to abandon the Bessemer process because of the way radiation is around now. Like they need deradiated uh, steel for certain things and such. Huh. Yeah. Uh, next thing so now, is yeah, now they're just going to wheel a truck out in the middle of the battlefield and just turn this machine on and kill everybody. Yeah, literally. <laughs> make yeah. sure they make sure they direct <laughs> make sure they direct it the right way at the enemy. Everybody. Yeah. Okay, put your earphones on, earplugs in, boom. Yeah, we're just going to go out there with, like, sonar weapons and just start yeah. shooting just, you know, sound waves out into the battlefield. Everyone. It's going to be like Mars Attacks. Yeah, that that's exactly <laughs> what it's all about. And their brains, like, explode. Dude, it's literally exactly like what it's going to be lady like. and Lucas Haas driving around in the pickup. Yeah. <laughs> the movie's great, dude. Yeah. Uh, next thing we got here in music news is Courtney Love states, Hole is definitely talking about a reunion. Uh, Courtney Love hinted at a whole reunion in an interview with The Guardian May 25th. The Rocker said members of the iconic grunge act are definitely talking about getting back That's together. a bold statement. Iconic. Yeah. Iconic grunge <laughs> act. Iconic grunge. Okay. Um, if so, it would be the first time the group have performed since 2012 when Love briefly re- reconvened with bassist Melissa Offdermar, drummer Patty Schmel. And guitarist Eric. It's e- a shame because everybody in that well, band where is the hell really did she good find except these people? for Courtney Love. I know. She, she, she ruins the whole thing by singing. Like Melissa Offter Mars played with Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, yeah. Patty Schemmel, Nirvana wanted as their drummer before Dave Grohl came along because she was so good. Um, I think they may have gotten the ticket with Dave Grohl. And Eric, Eric Erlandson almost jo- joined the band. It's alleged that. Eric Lance and Pat and Pat Smear were going to be in the band that Kurt Cobain was supposedly forming with Michael Stipe when he died. Oh wow! So like they were all like talented, like but Courtney Love just ruins it with her like uh, Hollywood crap all the time. So not to get too hung up on this, but let's say Hole does do a reunion and they tour. Hologram they, or no hologram? No, they're legit. I would prefer a hologram in this yeah. instance. <laughs> they're they're actual human beings. So they're touring. They're the headlining act. Okay. So nobody else that you really know performing. It's all like like they're not like on a bill with Foo Fighters or any of that just shit. Whole. It's just whole. But there's like probably like two other bands. They have to, to go on tour with like fucking Paramore or something. I don't know. How much would you pay? Twenty one dollars tops. After like fees and taxes. I'll do maybe ten more dollars in fees. So like, but like I would probably max. just go to the box office, so I wouldn't have to deal. So yeah, with you're that. saying like twenty bucks. Twenty one bucks. What are you yeah. saying, Bill? I, w- I wouldn't go. You wouldn't even go. I wouldn't even go. Not even a dollar. Well, I wouldn't waste my time. Mike, no. Well, yeah, I don't know. I would just maybe go for the story because I do like the one whole album, but I'm kind of under the opinion that she didn't write it. So yes, it, it Courtney Love is of no like fixation to me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They should tour. The Distillers are coming back around. They should tour with them because they sound exactly alike. <laughs> the singer for the Distillers and Courtney Love are like identical in their sound. 
it's and, it, and it's not even really talked about, but the album after Live Through This that everyone says Kurt Cobain wrote, Billy Corgan like got credit for Jesus writing Christ. the album after that, Celebrity Skin. Like he's like credited on several, including the title track, which was the biggest hit. Like he's like a co-writer. It's very weird because he was in the mix prior to Kurt being with her, and then he was like in the mix after his death with more like credits and what Courtney Love was doing with Hole. Maybe Billy Corgan killed Kurt Cobain. This is a he is a big wrestling fan. He probably does like fighting. Um, he was on Infowars, so he's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> we just started a conspiracy theory. Billy Corgan killed Kurt Cobain. <laughs> on this episode, our last thing here in music news is um, Slash confirms that new Guns N' Roses music is absolutely happening. Um, while talking with Detroit's 101 WRIF, Slash explained why specific details have been sparse. The thing is, we haven't really done anything yet, and I don't like to say anything. You know how these people use to promote shit and lie through their teeth, so I just wanted to be honest about it. And so there was really no telling of what we were going to do at that point. But at this point, I do know that we are going to do this run of fall shows, and we've already started working on stuff. So there you go. I care about this almost as little as the whole reunion. <laughs> I mean, just for the gravity of it, Guns N' Roses, and especially with Slash being the one to even talk about it, yeah. kind of puts it on the presumption that it's going to be Axel, Slash, Duff. I wonder if Izzy will get back. I doubt it. We know that Adler is not going to be there, definitely. See, like, no. if they did a tour and they were like, we're playing all of Appetite for Destruction... And all the good shit off Use Your Illusion and nothing else. Take stuff off of GNR Lies. And GNR Lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- uh, then uh, then maybe I'll go. But it's not going to be like that. They're going to play five songs maybe from Appetite. And then... Uh, Welcome to the Jungle, Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. And then same from Use Your Illusion. Yeah. And then one from GNR Lies, probably. And then they're probably going to play dumb shit from the Spaghetti Incident, dumb shit from Chinese Democracy. They're probably going to. They're probably going to. Yeah. You, they, yeah. But Ain't it I don't care about hearing boys. them play covers. Uh, yeah. Um, do I. <laughs> and then. And then they'll probably play stuff off whatever new shit they're cooking up. But in relevance, yeah. Like, would you listen to the new Guns N' Roses album if it I was released. Chinese Democracy for $1.99 <laughs> oh. brand Actually, no, it was 99 cents brand new I was at with Best you the Buy. day you bought it. Yeah. We sat in the car and we we're like, what is this? I bought this that. garbage. Best Buy got the... This was in a period where CDs were still kind of kicking and... It was in the Oblivion bin. <laughs> oh, Best, Best Buy oh, wow, and Target and Walmart were like competing to get like the exclusive like distribution rights of albums. So like I remember like Target had Pearl Jam Backspacer as an example, um, and Best Buy was the only one that got Chinese, Chinese Democracy. Democracy. Chinese Democracy hit number three, Backspacer by Pearl Jam hit number two, and these were all just being sold in Target or Best Buy. And <laughs> apparently, Best Buy pushing that album to number three on the U.S. album charts was not a good plan because within a year, I was at Best Buy buying that album for 99 cents. Just for reference, new. that album was in the bin with like Slaughter's Greatest Hits, uh, and Osmosis, million, and Van Halen 3. And a million other copies of Chinese Democracy. My <laughs> <laughs> like, God, dude. Holy shit. Um, well, that brings it into this thing. Um do you feel like 
speaking of Guns N' Roses, that when a band loses a member, like a, a you know an integral member, like a forming member, do you feel like the band gets better or worse? So give me an example. Depends, of a band. Yeah. Like let's say for instance, Guns N' Roses definitely got way worse. Yeah, I mean because that became like more of a master craft of you know Axel, Axel Rose. Rose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that branched off. So in that sense, I and that's the same thing when we talk about like one of my favorite bands being the Misfits. Yeah. You know, in that sense, it's totally different because I don't think you could put that so much up there when it's one member that's keeping the title of a band name going out there and making new music with session musicians, you know, touring musicians and not just like one member change. The Misfits, you kind of almost can't blame because it's like. Yeah, when they were young and they were first coming out, they were going to be their best. Yeah. And they they were basically a friendship, and the friendship fell off, yeah. and one dude wanted to do it, and one dude didn't, so the one dude who wanted to do it kept doing rights it. rights to merchandise and shit like that. And 90s Misfits isn't terrible. Like, I think it was worth doing. Yeah, for I sure. Agree. You know? So, It's not sense, as good as the, the Danzig era Misfits. No. But no, obviously, that's, that's obviously, but, yeah. Um, but talking about bands in like the sense of replacing, let's say, like one specific member. It all depends on what on, on the band, what the band's sound is based around. Yeah. If it's more of a guitar-based band, then changing guitar player... Could be crucial. Could be crucial. But if it's more of a singer's band with the guitars and kind of, you know, like take a band like Farner. I mean, I'm going back a little ways, but... You know, the singer was what you listened to when yeah. you heard Farner was a yeah. singer. Mm-hmm. And they're still playing now, but it's like a Farner tribute band. Yeah. But the singer sounds just like Lou Graham, so it sounds no good. Yeah. yeah. And the guitar musicians kind of just fill in. So it all depends on, on what the instrument in the bands are out front. If the guitar sound is the really out front sound of the band, yeah, then changing the other members, yeah. even the singer may not matter that much. So... In that regard, like you, for instance, there's several bands out there where they have absolute, you know, hits as well as credibility and with two different artists performing. Because when you're talking about like singer, dominant guitars, like let's just bring it up just to get it out of the way because I'm obviously probably the unpopular figure. ACDC is a prime example. Bon Scott died, and Bon Scott was responsible for some of their biggest hits with like TNT, oh, yeah, Highway like to Hell, you know what I mean? Dirty Deeds. A whole lot of Rosie. I mean, there's so many good songs. But then Brian Johnson comes over with the Back in Black album, and he has songs that are literally just as iconic with, like, Back in Black, Shoot the Thrill, Hell's Bells off that album. Well, ACDC was rising. They were still on their way up, and Led Zeppelin died. Yeah. And right at that moment. And then um, Bon Scott just was there at the right time yeah like, brian like johnson. the perfect moment yeah, yeah brian johnson yeah brian, yeah, brian johnson sorry. yeah it was a tragedy so they had to find somebody that kind of fit in and they found somebody that sounded close and it kind of worked out and yeah. i guess because the the audience was like well he died so he can't come back he didn't leave yeah so you don't so you don't have your bon scott fan base and your brian johnson fan base because Bon Scott's gone. Yeah. We got to go with this guy. We're going to still Yeah, they could have changed the name maybe and just started a new band that started. Well, that's the scary factor because you, for instance, you put on 
a Bon Scott song, you put on a Brian Johnson song, it's always like ACDC. As opposed to like you listen to Chinese Democracy era, Guns N' Roses and Appetite. Doesn't I hear two sound. different bands. Yeah. Well, you, you know? have to remember, too, is that those type of bands are guitar-driven bands. Like, if you didn't have Angus Young and ACDC, it wouldn't sound like ACDC anymore. But you anymore. still have Angus Young. Yeah. 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 yeah, but that's what I mean, though. And, like, with Guns N' Roses, he basically got rid of the whole rhythm section he, of that He got band. rid of the entire band. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, and it's he got rid of everything. Too, yeah, when, like, and a member like a... dies and, like, what Mike was saying with, like, when someone steps in that, like, limelight, but it's after a death. It's like harder to like judge him and say like you're not a fit because what are you gonna do? It's not like the dude that was singing is sitting at home and he got fired. It's yeah, more exactly. so like there's nothing we can do, but we still love this band. What can we do? And if you go out there and give them the respect of performing the same way, but see, in my opinion, I thought I don't. I'm not gonna say I don't like Brian Johnson ACDC 100 percent because like I enjoy Hell's Bells the yeah. song especially. Um, some of back in black, but like Bon Scott era, ACDC was just so much more like just raw rock and roll. Just, he yeah. was, you know what I mean? He just had the attitude, the stage presence. He Did was they just... have uh Mutt Lang before back in black? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I think Mutt Lang was their producer from the beginning. Wasn't, yes. wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but then you talk about more artists, you know, like in the difference of like, let's say, replacement artists. And we could talk about Iron Maiden. Or the replacements. The replacements sucked after Bob Stinson left. Or maybe even the greatest no, of all. We're not, we're not going to do this one yet. <laughs> we're going to save this one because we'll, we'll get Iron what, Maiden out of the, the way. The replacements? They're, no, 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 no. I'm, you know who we don't have to talk. go. We don't have to go into more detail on that. You know who Bill's going to want to talk about. Oh, so we'll get Halen. to that at the end because that'll be extensive because Bill's going to have facts from fucking 1988 to like specifically lay on us or some bullshit. So listen, Iron Maiden, though, that's a different sense because Paul Deano is responsible for one of my and probably the best album by Iron Maiden which is Killers and also the self-titled yeah never then, liked Iron Maiden you never liked Iron Maiden I never got super into them but if like they're the on the boys. radio I'm not going to turn them Dude, off they're one like of them the type vocals. of bands for me well that's the thing you probably don't like cliche Iron Maiden which is Bruce Dickinson yeah. with his operatic style vocalist nah, I hate it bro Paul Deano is so much different yeah, like listened. he went out there in like leather pants and gauntlets and was up there like like it was like a punk band. If you watch them live at the Rainbow in like the late seventies, it looked like a punk band up there. And especially the Killers album, the song Killers, you know, Phantom of the Opera. Why did they get rid of him? Why he was he a leave? huge cokehead. Uh, he was a huge drug addict, and he couldn't like perform sometimes. And they were having obviously personal issues. But if you listen to his raw edge like vocal quality. That's why I like Paul Deano way better because what you're saying, I don't like the vocals. That's usually the first reaction. You either love Iron Maiden or you can't stand Do you that like pop. Bruce Dickinson at all? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I like the album Power Slave. Number of the Beast has a couple good tracks, which is like their most hailed album. Well, that's the one with Run to the Hills, Run right? to the Hills, yeah. 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 And But Ace is High, Flash of the Blade. There's like, And it's funny because a lot of the songs that I like are they're more toned down instead of the high-pitched, like opera type songs you know because they have a lot of like anthem songs like rhyme of the ancient mariners like an 11 minute track fear of the dark you know they have a lot of songs yeah. that are more for crowd presence but you have to understand iron maiden coming out in that time when they first were they were just like this heavy metal band and paul deano was out there just like all over the stage just sloppy just yeah. but he was like invested in the music he just obviously couldn't perform sometimes he's still alive yeah dude and he's like <laughs> he looks like uh 
he looks like Sid Barrett now, like after Sid Barrett totally Ooh. fell off the wheels. <laughs> Bald, you know what I mean? Like compared to what he looked like in the 70s and the 80s, he looks like the transformation because now he's like a big meathead. He's bald. He's got like that peanut-shaped head. You know what I mean? I'm about to Google him. Yo, for real. But I'm telling you, Iron Maiden, man, Killers era, definitely the best. Now here, because of this topic, we will slip into what Bill <laughs> wants to talk about. Go ahead, Bill. Well, probably even probably the biggest, you know, line or singer change and love it or hate it is Van Halen when David Lee Roth quit or was asked to leave the band, depending on who you talk to. He was replaced with Sammy Hagar. Now, I know, Steve, you really don't like Sammy Hagar and you don't like Van Hagar. But it it was almost like it was a better commercial move for them to have David Lee Roth exit the band and to get Sammy Hagar, not only for songwriting and hits, but the band evolved like drastically. Like if you listen to 1984, the last album with David Lee Roth and then 5150, the first album with Sammy Hagar, it's almost like it's an entirely different band because they evolved. And I feel like David Lee Roth held them back with that being yeah, said. Yeah, but do you like the like synthesizer driven Late 80s Van Halen like, compared like to like jump? the early Van Halen? No, I don't like Jump. Okay. I'm not saying I like Jump, I'm, but however, I am going to say I do like... Wait, you don't well, like Jump? No. Really? No. Do you like on jump? The radio? That, I don't mind Jump. That's like saying like, uh, like, do you like Smells Like Teen Spirit? I don't mind Smells Like Teen Spirit. Jump is the reason why I couldn't get into Van Halen for years yeah. now. It wasn't until I recently got a playlist of actual decent Van Halen, so I was like, okay, <laughs> I could pre- do that song. It's a great song. Man. But talk about like sound waves melting your brain every time that comes <laughs> on there. I want to seize out and crash my fucking car. That album, they oh. became a little more polished. Yeah, that's on what that the, album. That was the beginning of them becoming more polished. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a little the, more polished because the first albums were just so raw. Yeah. And, and they continued so with emotion. that into Van Hagar. Well, I like, feel like with 5150. Van Hagar is like jump continued. I like how you keep saying well, Van look, Hagar, too. Like, <laughs> they really had to Van, Van Hagar, they went in a different direction, but. It still was powerful. It added a dimension to the band having that second guitar. I mean, the original Van Halen had that open kind of sound. When Eddie mm-hmm. played a lead, all you heard was bass and drums. Yeah. Now they had a second guitar, so it filled out the sound a little more. Mm-hmm. And plus with Hagar's voice being different. And he's so versatile. Yeah, but they Versal- never hit that raw, like, create, like, there's no eruptions in the Van Hagar era. Like, there's no, well, like... The band evolved. It just and evolved, I, yeah. I feel like they evolved for better. The guitar work got worse, though, kind of. No, I wouldn't go that far. The songwriting got way better. They experimented a lot more. And, um, I mean, besides the exception of, like, balance... So you like Van Hagar better than Van Halen? I'm not saying I like Van Hagar, Van Hagar more than Van Halen. But you're Halen. making the argument that they evolved and that evolved. Yeah, yeah. And the, the they evolved in a, in a positive way. I do feel like the band wouldn't have gone farther with David Lee Roth. Like, I feel like they were pigeon-held with what David Lee Roth wanted the band to be and what his ideas were of the band. That's why you didn't hear a song like Jump until 1984. That's why when 5150 came out, there was all kinds of crazy shit you have never heard. Before that, you never would have knew Eddie Van Halen was a proficient piano player. Ever. He's just a multi-instrumentalist, dude, and he's just great. And I felt like David Lee Roth and their producer at the time, Ted Teppelman, held him back. And I feel like well, with you, that I change... Mean, are What's you gonna, your favorite Van Halen album? My favorite Van Halen album mm-hmm. is... Um, 
Women and Children First. What's your second favorite? Van Fifty One Fifty. What's your third favorite? Van Halen One. What's your fourth favorite? Van Halen Two. It's going to go down the line of Van, of the Van Halen but, Daily Raw. So besides Fifty One Fifty, what it, what it, for unlawful corner knowledge is really good. Do you and, like OU Eight One Two? Yeah, I like OU Eight One Two. Jesus Christ. Dude, listen, the Van Halen has not put out an album that I did not like. Van Halen 3? Yeah, Van but Halen listen, 3. I mean, as a Van Halen fan, you were able to listen to them when they already had their catalog, pretty much. You know what I mean? Everything was already there for you. Yeah, but however, it wasn't until I was in my teenage years until I found out that there was Van Hagar. I didn't know that. I thought it was just something entirely different, and this was Sammy Hagar, and that was it. I just thought Van Halen was David Lee Roth. And so I guess I heard that's the this. difference in a lot of people because you have to understand if I'm listening to Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, and then something with what Sammy Hagar came out with, especially at the end of you know, David Lee Roth's run, yeah. I mean, dude, you could say they held him back, but really their sound changed, in my opinion, for an absolute worst direction. Because you say that polished so radio sound, you're missing of what they were trying. Like, dude, Van Halen 1... I mean, yeah, but you also gotta remember too. The, the we're door, talking, especially he could have gone seventies. We're talking about ten years after the fact too. Music had changed a lot from that time until then. Yeah, but why are you adapting with the times in that yeah. way? Because they're Van Halen, they, they can do whatever already, they want. They were, yeah, yeah, but they, they went with exactly. the tide. They could have done whatever they wanted. Look at Motorhead. Could, Motorhead like, would if he would have kept going the way he was going, like there'd probably be no argument for him being the greatest guitar player of all time. Instead, yeah. he's like arguably controversial. Like, However, he's like not a get a shoe in in the top five, really. Like, yeah, which I think is bullshit. But here's my here's the other coin of this argument. David Lee Roth did his solo albums. He did, I think he did another six albums after Van Halen or five. You've only heard of three of them. Case closed. You've only heard of like four Van Halen albums after fucking he left. 5150, OU812, For Unlawful Corner Knowledge, Balance, nope. and then Van Halen 3. That's five albums, and you know all five of them. Most people don't. Dude, I'm like a novice Van Halen fan, but I know enough to know when I'm listening to Van Halen, and I know enough to at least sit down and make a playlist of like 16 tracks if I wanted to listen to Van Halen. Oh, now, dude, you want the, 16 tracks? I'll give you 16 but this tracks. Thing, you're invested into them to the point where you're able to really like, you know, kind of go in depth of why you appreciate Van Hagar. We, but you think about like the other fan who's sitting there that was like interested in Van Halen based on like you showed me Van Halen 1 or Van Halen 2. Yeah. Dude, did you, do you remember when we listened to the isolated track of Jump? Yeah. You have Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, who's supposed to be this elite, I mean, like totally innovative guitarist, and it's it's pathetic. There's like no guitar yeah. featured on that whatsoever, and that's one of their... You ask any single person that doesn't know shit about Van Halen, but they know Jump, and that's sad because that, it to is me, it's like you have one of the greatest guitarists up there performing, and there's most well-known song, he's barely featured on it, and David Lee Roll sounds like a small child. They're jumping on trampolines in the video, dude. <laughs> Come on, man. It was like... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, guys, dude. It's really sad. The progression. Van Halen? Yeah, we got to move on from the Van Halen. God thing. damn it. I <laughs> want to move on from it, too, but I'm just still... I mean, I, I consider this two different two different bands. Yeah. I think of Van Hagar a separate band, which... That's al- fine. Yeah, al- allowed, yeah, allowed Eddie Van Halen to um, evolve and play more keyboards. I feel like they more, should Not just the wailing on the guitar, playing more guitar parts, play, you know, more musical. Yeah. I mean, Van... I, I'm, I'm not going to say Dave, that early Van Halen wasn't musical. It was musical, but it was... It was like one-dimensional. It was weird. It was, about yeah. when it was just wild, crazy rock and roll, you know, emotion. 
driven crazy mm-hmm. and it sounded great but when van hagar changed and became more polished and Watch, more of a musical yeah. group mm-hmm. when everybody was kind of kind of fit out the sound yeah so it was different they should change different. the name and then i'd be a lot more okay with it <laughs> it was just different yeah and we can talk about speaking of changing names we'll mention another band that did pretty much the same thing with a big musician with black sabbath oh yeah like With Ronnie Ozzy James, yeah, Ronnie James Dio came in the mix, and they still toured as Sabbath. Like Heaven and Hell came out as a Sabbath album. Mob Rules came out as a Sabbath album. You yeah. know what I mean? But the cool thing about that is, and we'll you know go back to this later. But when they progressed, eventually they started touring even with all the members, including Dio, as Heaven and Hell because they respected like you're not actually seeing what everybody typically sees as Sabbath. They were able to identify that. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, how do you feel with like eventually? Because like, you have to go back to a time, let's say. You know, you just got listened to what? What was the last one that came out with Sabotage before? No, uh, Never Say Die. Never, yeah, say, never die. say Die. Okay, so Never Say Die comes out. You know, you find out Ozzy is out of the band, and then you hear about Ronnie James Dio, who already has I small mean, credibility with being in Rainbow. If you know? Ozzy hadn't had a solo career, who knows how like much people would care about Ozzy now, and there'd probably be like no controversy. Yeah, like Ozzy's such a larger than life figure that it becomes hard to take him out of black Sabbath. But if he hadn't been that figure, it would be a lot. It'd be like ACDC, like, like a lot of people. Do you think they could have just completely progressed with Ronnie James Dio? Had it been that way and still been okay with it being black Sabbath? The same way. Well, yeah. Cause when Ronnie James Dio joined, he was like bigger than Ozzy Osbourne. He had already had like solo hits and stuff. Ozzy was an innovator. Ozzy was an innovator back when he started back in the in the sixties. Yeah, was, in the he was an, he was yeah, an innovator. Crazy. The whole like Black Sabbath thing. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah I, re- I remember it was. I was really young, but I Different. remember it. it was. It was like whoa. Yeah, I mean that's responsible. Well, for the, even the first Jordan, album cover you can just see is like this is nothing yeah, like any rock band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if he never did a solo thing, he still would have been remembered as yeah, yeah. one of albums, the innovators. Ozzy, yeah. Ozzy, he was, you know, this heavy rock. Yeah, kind of thing. and he, he was, was yeah. His antics were probably yeah. heavily noted by that point when he left Black Sabbath, obviously. But and Ronnie James Dio had his own thing. Yeah, That's totally what I'm saying. Sound. Though, yeah. like totally Ronnie James Dio was like bigger, like commercially mm-hmm. when he joined. Like at that point in 1980, he was probably more of a household name than Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, but Black Sabbath at that point was already well established. Yeah. That's the problem. You're but coming. Black Sabbath was established. Yeah, not I think Ozzy that's the Osborne. thing. But but also too, regardless as a standalone artist, I mean, I'm more upset at the idea. Like, if my favorite band, and we'll say like like the Misfits, for instance, let's say Glenn Danzig doesn't go out and do his own thing, I'm still upset that the Misfits are carrying on a different yeah, way exactly. without the original sound I'm used to. Yeah. Separate factors other than the band itself can affect your perception yeah, exactly. of how everything played but out. But I think that worked out perfectly because at least Dio was able to respect, like when he was in Sabbath, he used to let Iomi take the stage light. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. really respected, like, this is a Black Sabbath band and it's not like Ronnie James Dio with some guys. Like, he's already in a well-known yeah. like hard rock band and he obviously went out there to respect that. Speaking of other artists like that, yeah. what about Genesis? Michael is our resident Genesis oh, yeah. genius. Yeah. Well, well, fact totem. Yeah, I want to hear the opinion on the whole Peter Gabriel, uh, Phil Collins. Well, the early, the early Genesis with Peter Gabriel wasn't that well known outside of Europe, and it was very, very progressive. Um, a lot of fantasy. The lyrics, 
it was it was a, a different type of music, and they had a great following over in Europe. And when the Lamb Lies Down album came out, it created this turmoil because it was changing from what they had been used to doing. If you listen to the early albums, Supper's Ready was all this fantasy going on. And then the Lamb Lies Down came out, and it was about a Puerto Rican kid in New York who spray painted. And they kind of put it together piece by piece, and Peter Gabriel was doing his own thing and wrote the words, and the rest of the band wrote the music. So there was this turmoil going on. And as they did the whole Lamb Lies Down tour, the band kind of fell apart because everybody was, Peter Gabriel was dressing up in all these outrageous costumes, and everybody thought the whole band was about Peter Gabriel. And the rest of the band got very upset because they wrote all the music, and they felt important. So there was egos involved. Tony Banks, the keyboard player, is an egomaniac. So Peter Gabriel left. He kind of had to leave at that point because he became bigger than the band, and then the band didn't want to listen to him. At the yeah, same and, time. and the band wanted yeah. to be equal. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm going to leave and do my own thing. And so, I mean, they, you know how the story goes. They looked and looked and looked for a singer and they couldn't find one. And all of a sudden, Phil Collins was singing. It's like, well, why don't you do it? Yeah. And they had a bunch of music written for the Trick of the Tail and the Trick of the Tail album, which was still very progressive as far as music goes, came out. And it was a huge hit. And they became popular in America. All of a sudden, before oh, so they that, didn't become popular in America until after Peter Gabriel had already been out. Yes, true. I mean, the Lamb Lies Down, they started to become popular in America, but not... Like fringe, not, yeah. Yeah, it was still not big yeah. until they came out with Trick of the Tail, and then they became worldwide stars. And this was Peter Gabriel... Was Peter like Gabriel already, already left. Was he already kind of big as a solo artist? He had started his own solo thing, and people had... Like he Nico. had fans too. Yeah, all all the um, all his original albums, which didn't have titles, he just I called it the like Peter Gabriel, the Car album, the Melted Face album. And, yeah, they, yeah, they had different names. So he was doing his own thing in Genesis, and then felt, and then the writing in, in Genesis started to change and become more commercial, shorter songs. And when the Lamb Lies Down, they were broke. By the time the Lamb Lies Down album came out and the tour they were broke they probably exhausted their advance from yeah, three albums ago the, the, yeah. the show that they had to put yeah. on tour with lamb with the lamb tour with at the time all these different screens and all these different costumes mm-hmm. all the staging that when when phil collins came over and he, as the singer and they started the tour and it was a different atmosphere it was more fun the songs were more upbeat um shorter not as I don't want to say weird, but not as fantasy based. They drew in a bigger crowd, so it was like two bands. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing more uh, popular music. As Phil what Collins. do you prefer, the Peter Gabriel early era or the Phil Collins era? I like the first album they did with Phil Collins, Trick of the Tail. But after that, I don't I, I don't yeah. really like the stuff they did after that. Yeah. Wind and Wuthering was a good album. It was still had a lot of, of long progressive tracks on it. But once they got into Duke and Abacab and all that, it became more of a pop band. They called it pop progressive at the time. But um, I just liked the older stuff better, not because it was Peter Gabriel, but just music itself. So it was it was like two different bands. And they made a fortune with playing as Phil Collins, the front man. Was Phil Collins doing the solo stuff at this time too, or did Genesis like break up not too long after this and then he just went solo? Well, the original band, Phil was the drummer. You know that when the original band, he's just 
incredible drummer. Yeah. And um, when he took over as the front man, he st- it was just the very beginning when he started doing solo stuff. Okay. At so, the same so time. So it was just starting. So he didn't become a big solo star until like the Duke or Abacab album when he started right, coming out with his own stuff. When off. Genesis was getting bigger, all of a sudden he started getting bigger. He eclipsed them at some point, right? Yeah. And and No Jacket required those albums by Phil Collins. He became pop. He became a pop star. Yeah. Mm. Everybody wanted him. He had this gated drum sound that everybody wanted on their albums. He wanted to, he wanted, all the bands wanted him to come play with them, you know, for the sound. And, and, and he became just this huge star in the 80s. Yeah. So by the mid 90s, he was done with Genesis. He wanted to do his own thing. And Genesis tried to move on to somebody else and it didn't work. And so they stopped playing. So but, general um, consensus, you prefer, you think Peter Gabriel over Phil? The older stuff, yeah. Yeah. But I still like the Trick of the Tail album. Yeah. Which was the first album they did with Phil Collins. Do you think that one's on par with the best of the Peter Gabriel era? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but Phil, I mean, they made a lot of money, which is, you know, what can you say? I mean, they said they sold out, maybe, but still good music. It was still good music. Yeah. And uh, even though he was, they still wrote it together. You want to get paid at some point. Yes. Yeah. And they had struggled for so many years. Yeah. They had struggled for, for you over... You had the opportunity, over, your foot's in the door, money's on the other side. It's yeah, hard. They, they struggled for eight years, put their heart and soul in their writing all this music. And then Phil comes out front, has a more laid back, fun with the audience kind of act, mm-hmm. not this all the costumes and all this kind of thing. It's more of a fun thing going on. And people got into it, and the fans got into it, the band got into it, and they wrote it. Yeah. They wrote it right up to having a number one the album. Top. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They became popular in America and that's all you need. So they, they kinda are. like um Go ahead. No, I was gonna say like kinda like wrap up in the sense of like what we're discussing here. Because we're we're mentioning, you know, especially with like Genesis, with Van Halen, with Sabbath, like when we mentioned like artists, even Iron Maiden that like replace their singer, mm-hmm. you know, and start a new sound. And for instance, like to like ACDC after Bon Scott, to like Genesis after Peter Gabriel, to like Iron Maiden off of Paul Deano, but also enjoy the predecessor as well as the one who took the reins afterwards. Exactly. This is where, and this is how like I kind of want to like end it and see if you guys agree or disagree, and it doesn't have to be specifically on this band, but I'm going to use them as the example. Stone Temple Pilots. All right. That's a good so example to use. Scott yeah, Weiland... You know, he it's not really a vocal driven band, but it, it is like oh, Scott. Yeah, Weiland's yeah that's voice, how you know it's them. Yeah, yeah. His voice was just so recognizable. And obviously we know the issue Scott had. He passed away. Um, but then peace, they Scott. yeah, they go on with Chester, you know, from Lincoln Park. Also rest, rest, in, rest peace. in peace. Yeah. And but they, they said, you know, they featured his name with Stone Temple Pilots. They didn't yeah. go out there. Now they got this new singer. Jeff they're Gutt. At, they're actually on tour right now, and they recorded a new album. And I'm telling you right now, if you listen to this album compared to, like, Core, it's not Stone Temple Pilots. I agree. At all. And 100% I was, it's agree. It's funny because I'm on all these threads on Facebook and Instagram, and, you know, I would see comments where people were like, this is bullshit. And then you would get, like, people of, like, a newer age being like, move on. This is Stone Temple Pilots now. Like, some of you guys just need to move on. And it's like, no. It's, no, it's they need a, to move on from Stone Temple Pilots. And if it's exactly. not the same band, they need to call anymore. it something else. Yeah, it's like, that's why I liked about, like, Joy Division. They went out and did New Order. They want to make new music, but they want to be able to play all their the, 
Like exactly. they want to be able to walk down memory lane and, and cash the checks. Yeah. So I mean, like, you, I mean, dude, don't get me wrong. This the, this dude Jeff Gutt, he's not a bad singer, but it just isn't Stone Temple Pilots. Not Scott yeah. Weiland. That yeah, album, it's not Scott Weiland. That album and they just came out with. Not dude, for nothing, not. dude. He is kind of what made that band. There was nothing really that was like earth shattering about any no, of the other yeah, members. Exactly. Robert Dean DeLeo, they weren't like characters. Like, I mean, maybe in the early days of Stone Temple Pilots, they may have been like equal. You know yeah. what I mean? But as the band progressed, Scott, Scott Weiland was, was like the, the guy. Star. Yeah. yeah. He was the dude. Hey, he's yeah. like, um, what's his name? He's from Bush, Gavin. Oh, Gavin Rosdale? Gavin Rosdale. If they wouldn't Same have thing. had a. A good singer, they wouldn't have been popular. No, like their their guitar. Scott Weiland is what made that isn't band. like no, they, you're, distinctive you're right, yeah. enough to yeah. drive them to be like a guitarist. Yeah, no, it was, exactly. It's definitely yeah. a vocal driven band. Yeah, yeah. Because the early Stone Temple Pilots, they came, they kind of came in it that, was that genre a when little it was, bit. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that new, I don't know what you would call it. Um, type of the, the, post grunge. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's like yeah. alternative horror. They, really they were like the first yeah. crop really of the post grunge. Like yeah. the, the really popular imitators. Yeah. And yeah. it was definitely vocal driven. You heard his voice. You know what was that? You knew it, man. Yeah. yeah. Like and even when we saw the Stone Temple Pilots in 2010, yeah, like was Scott still there? I mean, he wasn't fully there. If he catch my drift, of course. But you knew it was him when he was performing like, he was at least like, yeah, he was I, performing he was he was into it yeah he he was scott wyland yeah and i i mean i didn't see them with chester bennington or with the new guy yeah. but i can't imagine them having the same type of chemistry with them versus with scott well the reason why i brought this up is because the only thing i'm really going to set into the disagreement factor like for instance when we talked about with artists when they pass away what you do I agree. Like, if you want to tour, like, for instance, like Queen, everyone hated on Queen when Paul Rogers jumped in there. Paul Rogers already has the credibility behind Bad Company. He wasn't coming in there trying to be Freddie, but they want to put on a show for people to be able to see Queen songs live and at least with a singer that can somewhat compensate because you're never going to match Freddie, but people wanted to see Queen. Well, and they at least had the decency to say Queen with Paul Rogers. They didn't go out there and Temple Pilots did that too. With Chester Pilots, it was Stone Temple Pilots with Chester Bennington, but now they don't do that. That's strange. Yeah, Queen did. They, go record yeah. an album with Paul Rogers and call it a Queen album. They recorded this Stone Temple Pilot, and it literally is just part of their catalog. It's the yeah. latest album by Stone Temple Pilots, yeah. and it's just not them. Well, with STP, nope. it's like when they did the with Chester Bennington thing, you almost think it's like a, a respect thing. Well, to Scott, it was Sublime and Rome. But then they don't do it with Jeff Gutt because you can't say Stone Temple Pilots no, with Jeff Gutt because yeah. you don't know who, who the, the hell he is, is and he? it sounds stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think he so was a cover it, it singer. I'm not, it wasn't I'm not out too of respect. Sure on that. It was out of, hey, you've heard of Chester Bennington. We don't have the old guy anymore, but you've heard of this new guy, yeah. right? So come see us. Yeah. Come yeah. on, Lincoln Park, you've heard of them, right? Yeah. You exactly. Had to. And it's um like I said, I, I disagree. Like if you guys want to go out and tour, um, and again, I like what Mike says with the idea of like replacing an artist, especially in a band where it's driven to that instrument. Because for instance, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anthony Kiedis and Flea, as well as Chad, they're all very prominent in that band. So replacing yeah. a guitarist, they're re- releasing albums. It's okay. Blink-182, same thing. You get the dude from Alkaline Trio, but you're still missing, you know... I heard Tom's coming back. You're, that's what I've heard, that's too. That's a total conspiracy. So, because he just did the New Angels and Airwave shit. That's not, that's not what happened. We're not going into that right now. But, like I said, when you replace an artist, if you guys record more albums... It's one thing, but in the sense of Scott Weiland, like you said, that was such a prominent band for him. Yeah. 
You know, it's such a like he was literally carrying that on his back. Don't get me wrong. The musicianship and the instrumentals are good and quality. Yeah. But, dude, that's like if like, as I mentioned before, with like Joy Division, not so much as a well-known band, but they had the respect value that they're going to go out and record new music with the members, but make a new band name. Yep. It's it's like if you guys want to go out there and record a new album with this guy, just get a new name. I actually have a band here that I want to bring up. Connor and Michael may not be familiar, but I know you are. Killswitch Engage. Yeah. They had Jesse Leach as the singer. Yeah. Jesse Leach left. Then they got Howard in. Then Howard left, and they got Jesse back. Yeah. I just think that's like, I just think it's interesting. I mean, it's not like Killswitch Engage is like such like a crazy band to where like, you know, they get rid of a screamer dude that can like sort of sing. Yeah. Bring it back. But I just think it's kind of interesting that they had the original guy actually come back. You know, what do you mean? Like, why is that? I mean, because that's the same thing with like Sabbath. Same thing with Judas Priest. Yeah. When Halford left and Tim Owens what jumped in there, and then they brought the original guy back. Yeah, that's true. You know, they brought Halford right back after Owens. Because I mean, but there's there's another band where that Tim the Ripper Owens era was just nobody even fucking steps on it. <laughs> it's not even like I don't think I've heard more than one track by that dude. No, me either. Like for real. But again, I I just. I feel like it's okay if a band wants to go out there and tour in the respect of touring as a band, for instance, like Queen, for instance, like Journey, for instance, you know, Sublime with Rome, um, even when Led Zeppelin toured with the, you know, with Jason Bonham. I thought that was really nice and respect yeah. for John having his son out there as well as him already being a known drummer through Foreigner. Yep. But also, too, when you go out there and record an album and it's called, like, you know, again, The Misfits, you know, Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, it's like you're not giving the fans what we're expecting and what we're accustomed to. And for anybody to say like, move on, like it's a new singer. Like, no, this is a band that established credibility decades ago. And you're not going to come out and just, we're going to be okay with this. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair. What was going back to queen for one second? What was, what was the reason for them coming out with Paul Rogers? Cause the Paul Rogers queen thing didn't seem to fit. While Adam Lambert seems to fit. Yeah. The yeah queen he does. Definitely. Mode. While the Paul Rogers thing it was like, that's a weird combination. Well, I think it's Paul just Rogers because, is that yeah. raspy voice, yeah, the bad company, the whole, and he's singing Queen when Freddie Mercury had this sweet voice, which is more kind of like Adam Lambert. I wonder what was the whole reason behind that Paul Rogers Queen thing. Well, you have to think. I think at the time when you're just trying to find a replacement vocalist, as well as them being both from the same area, and you know Paul Rogers being so familiar with Bad Company and the availability, I think it probably just fell into circumstance. Because they, play, they, yeah. play, they played some Bad Company songs. Yeah. When they play with, with when that's Queen why they got a lot Paul of Rogers. friction behind it as well. Yeah, and I was finding like, eh, this is kind of weird. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But then that scares you, too, because then if you go out there to sell tickets as Queen and you're not getting exactly what you thought you were going to get and you're paying top dollar. Queen with Paul Rogers. Th that's what I'm saying. At yeah. least, you know, I mean, because you're not going in there with like this new vocalist. Like, for instance, could you imagine seeing ACDC for the first time with Brian with Adam Johnson? Lambert? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could see that. I think I would throw up <laughs> just impulsively. What do you want from me? <laughs> Last week, we uh, suggested for you guys to watch Rush, Beyond the Lighted Stage. It was a documentary directed by Sam Dunn and Scott, Mc Scott McFadden. Um, those of you who don't know, um, Sam Dunn is the one that directed the movie Metal A Headbanger's Journey and then later went on to Metal Evolution that was on VH1. Um, 
we recommended it to you guys, so hopefully you watched it. But if you didn't, um, it's basically from the start of Rush all the way until um, move wasn't moving pictures. What was Axe and Arrow? Was it Michael? Snakes and arrows. Snakes, snakes and arrows. Snakes and arrows. Um, and it just it basically just went over you know from the beginning of the band all the way through you know when they first started getting popular in America to them having their little slump and then coming back in the 80s stronger than they ever were. Um, I thought it was I thought it was an insanely good movie. It was very very informative, extremely informative. It's not one of those movies where. Like how like Foo Fighters back and forth was where if you weren't a fan. It was better fan, done than that. It wasn't like as in-house. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. But all in all, I thought it was I thought it was an extremely good movie. The, indiv- the, the interviews were great. Yeah. Um, Jack Black. Yeah, Jack um, Black. <laughs> Tim Comerford. Yep. Billy Corgan. Kirk Hammett. Taylor Hawkins. Um, Zach Wilde. Paul. Trent Reznor. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good interviews in it. It was an extremely good movie. And it just shows you how... Nick how, Rasky Lennox, that was interesting. Yeah. He produced a bunch of Foo Fighters albums. And then he all, from that, I think Rush liked what he was doing. And they started using him. Yep. He was like a newer guy who they felt like fit in with their style. And it just goes to show you how influential and how important a band like Rush is. And it shows you, too, like, you know, you don't really have to have any kind of you know, um, genre norms like in a band to actually be successful because Rush doesn't really, they're not classified as really anything. They're just Rush. Progress- they're yeah. progressive rock. Well, they're progressive Rush, but there's no bands that sound like them. They're just Rush and that's it. Um, yeah, I so mean, kind of similar to yes. Yeah, I was they, gonna they, say, they, had, they had so many different, the influences they had. I mean, they had the big influence from Cream. Yeah, and Cream was the original power trio, mm-hmm. yep. so they wanted to be a power trio, and so their first Rush's first few albums were power trio blues rock, yeah, you know, working man those kind of songs, and then Neil when Neil Peart joined, they started with the new different lyrics and the, they started to go off into that the word fantasy again. Mm-hmm. They started these extended songs with these different parts, and they turned into to a progressive rock band. Yep, and against what the label wanted them to do, the record label wanted them to do, and they developed this cult following that just became huge yeah and i never knew they had another drummer before neil pert i yeah. thought he was always the guy and that's like the worst of it between like pete best chad channing like yeah. i can't imagine being the dude before yeah. uh fucking neil pert like, yeah man, they actually had a bass player they had a bass player before getty lee oh yeah was getty lee the singer when they had the bassist no 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 they he, just had the, the old bass player yeah. was the singer okay he wasn't in a band that long but mm-hmm. yeah but but then it was, but it's been it's been those three for forty years. Yeah, how do you keep a band together for that long? It's crazy they're exactly. done now. They're one of those bands you thought they would keep going until one of them croaked. Yeah, well, physically they can't do it anymore. Probably not. Yeah, now, Neil, even Neil, Getty Lee, like that bass is probably real. Getty Lee's the only one age. that's yeah. yeah. Getty Lee's the only one that can still I think do it. Alex has arthritis mm. in his hands, so he can't play as well as he used to. And Neil just. He's he's, yeah, he's seventy. He yeah, can't play. He can't play, he can't play, that. play yeah, the no like that anymore. anymore. Yeah. Well, all of us being musicians, we we definitely know how how. Uh, let me think of the. You'd word have here. to be on like an army regiment to keep. Yeah, that exactly. Up. Even like then, they're just difficult songs. Quicker. Like even their easiest songs are extremely difficult and like oh, technically yeah. proficient. Yeah. 
you know? And it's funny, too. You can start to see, like, when older artists go out and perform, and then they choose their set list wisely. Like, yeah. You can tell they're playing certain <laughs> songs. Like, you know why this song is Well, when you have a big catalog even... to yeah. pull from. But I'm saying you get to see the progression do. and difference, like, when you start seeing a band that was, like, playing very intricate songs as their most popular ones until eventually when they start doing set lists, and you can tell, like, there's a couple filler tracks in there for them to, like, kind of catch a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? I saw that a lot with Fleetwood Foo Fighters Mac. do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the the last tour that Rush did was was last inc- year, right? Yeah, no, it was about three or four years ago. Oh, really? And it was incredible because they started from the newest songs and they they worked their way uh-huh. all the way back. So by the end of the show, all they had on stage was a drum set, an amp on a chair, and oh, that's amp. cool. They had, it was like they did back in the high school days. Oh wow! And so it was like a whole story of the band coming from the new all the way back to the old, and it was really amazing. And uh, they really pay tribute to all their fans, and um, it was really an amazing show. That kind of reminds me, actually. I'm not a big U2 fan, but I remember this little snippet of information. Um, their big album, uh, Joshua, Joshua Tree. Tree. Yeah, that the track list on that. Mm-hmm. They say that the best song is first, and the worst song is is last, and it goes in order. Like it, it gets worse. You <laughs> to it. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I just wouldn't listen to it. No, I'm good. Yeah. Have you guys did you guys ever see Rush live? No. I saw them back in seventy seven when they were still in their long hair white satin outfit yeah. uh days. Um and it just sounded amazing back then. Then I saw them in the eighties when they became big stars, mm-hmm. you know, with permanent waves and moving pictures and uh, Spirit all, of the know, Radio. Spirit of the Radio, yeah. Tom Sawyer, that whole thing. And uh they were always another thing with Rush is they were always ahead of their time with a multimedia show. And they like were the, on, in, on stage. Yeah, they, yeah. they were the, one of the first bands I ever saw, which I think is why I made them popular because they made their show it was only the three guys. Mm-hmm. So the, how do we make this show popular? How it look Big. good? Yeah, and exactly. They were one of the one of the first bands in the in the early eighties. So I think it was eighty one that they actually had a big screen behind them now it's every band has a big screen behind them but they actually had a big screen behind them and the music was synchronized to the videos going on in the screen behind them now everybody does that man. yeah yeah but and they that was were, just a simple idea that yeah, they you were think about that was the first behind. time seeing yeah. something like yeah. that is a big fucking deal they had all kinds of sequencers and computerized lighting which was unheard of back then so all the lighting and the video and everything that went on was all synced together so it was an actual multimedia multimedia show, which was kind of unique to that back then. No one's really gotten into smells. I think I might try and do yeah. like uh, olfactory uh, next dimensional shows in the future. Maybe try and influence the, uh, the smell. Of that's the, what I, that's what I <laughs> that's what I thought about Rush back then when I saw them. Then it was the like, first part will smell like flowers. <laughs> Next part, like. Uh, french fries maybe (laughs) all right so uh to wrap up this review we're gonna go through and give our score from one to ten what would you give this movie connor nine nine what about you steven um i can't give it a nine because i'm not a huge rush fan. i'm not a big rush fan yeah but i I like i think overall yeah i I would give it an eight i would definitely give it an eight yeah what about you michael i'm a huge rush fan so i give it a (laughs) ten there you go I'm going to side here with Steve and give it an 8. I'm not the biggest Rush fan, but I do enjoy a lot of their music. All right, so it was a very, very well-done movie. 
Yeah. And plus, Sam Dunn, I love anything that dude does. His directing style is amazing. Okay. Another Um, thing with Rush, I don't want to drag on with it, but it's you talk about influences. There's the early bands, uh, you you know, the early guitar players, the early musicians, you know, as you get to the Beatles and, and the Stones and Cream and all these, Eric Clapton, all these different. So these people and the, the bands like Rush, yeah, they were influenced by that generation. And then you have Rush and now all the other musicians nowadays are being influenced by Rush. Yeah. So Rush is like in the middle generation, and now all the new generation bands are being influenced by Rush, who was influenced by the first generation musicians. So yeah, we all talk about it all the thing. time how we don't care about the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the, just, it's too old. I don't know. But but you talk about but then you look at but the Beatles talk about the seventies stuff all the time. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I mean, based on the reviews, we're at like you know an average eight point three. Yeah, thinking. We got personal suggestions. Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with this one. Um, my personal suggestion for this week is the 1999 album by Black Label Society, Sonic Brew. It was I know I mentioned it's a cool uh, title. Yeah, I remember I mentioned um, uh, Pride and Glory earlier, but uh, this is the album that he did after. I like Zach Wild. Yeah, yeah, this is the album that he did after Pride and Glory. Obviously, eight years later, but. It just shows you the versatility of. So, who, is this the first Black Label yeah, Society? Yeah, this is the album? first Black Label Society okay. album. This is the first thing that you've heard. No, never mind. Scratch that. This is the third thing you've heard since Pride and Glory because Ozzy wound up doing Osmosis mm-hmm. and then uh, he came out with Sonic Brew. But I think it's a very, very good album. On the 1999 US reissue, there is a cover of No More Tears on it. And it's it's actually surprisingly good. Does he sing it? Yeah. Okay. Zach's the vocalist and guitar player of the band. Okay. I'm going to recommend, I don't know what album it is of this, probably the ninth or 10th, but it's Sonic Youth's 1995 Washing Machine. Okay. Um, it was kind of their step out of like the grunge years. Like they, they kind of had, it was like their third era. The first era was like really noisy and then they were hanging out with Nirvana all the time and their second era with like goo dirty and experimental jet set trash and no star were more like they were grunge and yeah well grunge influenced and then washing machine kind of started the final era of sonic youth where they almost became like grateful daddy where they got a lot more chill their guitars became more pretty instead of noisy and yeah it's it's like it's it's a great starting point for a Sonic Youth perspective uh, listener. Awesome. Yeah. What do you got for us, Michael? I'm going to go off the board here. <laughs> um, probably you guys don't realize this, but there's an album by the Beach Boys called Pet Sounds. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> it was one of the most influential albums in Paul history. Carney's favorite. It changed music at the time because mm-hmm. uh, it was before that it was all just one, four, five, you know, single songs they threw them together for an album it was the first like album that was put together as these songs belong together mm-hmm. and so that's why i always look at that as an influential album oh yeah it's I, i'll take that over anything Be i mean i know i just talk trash oh, yeah. on the beatles but i would <laughs> take that's an album from that time that i would put yeah. as a something to listen to instead of the beatles so my <laughs> recommendation 100 percent um, it's actually by this uh, thrash band. It's called um, Devastation's name of the band. The name of the album is Idolatry. 
Now, here's the thing. I didn't realize this because I heard the sound of it. Bill, you're familiar with like Sepultura? Yeah. This, the album Arise. Okay. It sounds just like it. And I was like, this is weird. So I looked up the guy. The guy, Scott Burns, is the one who produced it. Yeah. Dude, he produced Leprosy, Spiritual Healing, Human. He produced like the first four Cannibal Corpse albums. Oh, the wow. The first three Sepultura albums, Obituary, Demolition Hammer. I mean, like all these huge 80s, 90s That's metal awesome. bands. And it's weird. That's awesome. But yeah, the Devastation album, you should check it out because it sounds literally just like Arise. The vocal quality is just different. I, in my opinion, thinks it's better at times, but the album is actually came out in 91 also, so Sweet. prominent year for Thrash. Prominent. Awesome. The Black Album, dude. <laughs> Bro. We just couldn't fucking finish the podcast without it being mentioned. You were oh, the one yeah. looking at everybody about, like wait, 1991 the, was a big year for Thrash. We were talking about uh, what are you gonna mention? Jay-Z. That's true. The Jay-Z album? No, he's talking about Metallica, dude. Metallica's thrash album, the black album in 1991. Self-titled, the one with the snake on the cover. It's all black. It had a bunch of hits on it. All right, so before Steve has an aneurysm and dies here because of all the Metallica talk, um, (laughs) our group suggestion this week is to check out the documentary Remastered, Devil at the Crossroads. It's on Netflix. Um, It's a... Yeah, it's a documentary film. He, he influenced everybody. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Robert Seriously. Johnson documentary. They Something cool to check out. If you're in the local South Jersey area, his discography is currently uh, for sale at the low, low price of four ninety nine at Jupiter Records on cassette. It's a steal. Good to know. I, I've been like meaning to pick it up, but for some reason I just find other stuff in there. Well, now there you go. Here's the opportunity. <laughs> Um, Michael, is there anything you want to give a shout out to? Anything new musical endeavors that you're currently doing? Uh, any plans on future shows or anything like that? I'm doing um, a lot of traveling this summer with a uh, Genesis tribute band out of uh, New York called Rail, which is the character's name in the landmines down on Broadway. R-A-E-L, Rail. If you want to look that up, Rail, the music of Genesis and we play a lot of old Genesis from the Lamb Lies Down it's back. Mainly, it's mainly, yeah, mainly Peter Gabriel era, right? Yes, it's yeah. Peter Gabriel. Awesome. And some Peter Gabriel solo stuff. Okay. Nice. And, um, you guys do Biko? No. No, we actually go back farther than that. Games Without Frontiers. Yeah. Um, what, uh, in your, in your Eyes, Hill? Red Rain. Salisbury Hill? Yes, yeah. that one too, yeah. And, and, the, and the, um, the Genesis songs we do go way back, like Supper's Ready and... And all the old songs. Shock the Monkey? No, we don't do Shock the Monkey now. No. No. Great song, but we don't. That one's hard to pull off. Yeah, I bet. It's a weird kind of beat. Quick, quick anecdote about that album that Shock the Monkey's on by Peter Gabriel. That's how, later on, right? how innovative he was. He did that whole album without cymbals. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty he just neat. Said, I'm going to try. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's the way he was. Yeah. And I'm also... Um, I know Billy Joel may not be a big topic here, but I, I play with the Billy Joel tribute band. We have a lot of fun going out doing uh, uh, summer shows around the around the neighborhood. A band called Fifty Second Street. We do a lot, a lot of summer shows, outdoor concerts. Which that is LP a lot of fun. is also big in the Goodwill uh, use sections. <laughs> yes, and um, also the, the the original band I'm in, Shadow Merchant. We are talking about starting a third album. We're looking at a couple songs to start recording. So, awesome enough. Excellent. <laughs> Sounds like you're a busy guy, so we're going to let you get rolling here, Michael. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. No problem. Anytime. Absolutely, man. Anytime. You're welcomed here whenever you want. 
Um, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. Once again, thank you, everyone, for your continued support and listening. Um, I'm Bill. Connor. Steve. Michael. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.